Hello and welcome to episode 79 of Inside the WDF with me, Andrew Sinclair. It's the first episode of the new year and it's taken until January the 18th to, to get here. I had hoped we'd be back a lot sooner with some coverage from the WDF World Championships at Lakeside, but unfortunately, as you all know, they were postponed in December of last year because of the, the COVID situation in the UK, and I gave my thoughts on that the, the last episode of last year. But, you know, we move on, we look ahead to Lakeside in April, and that the WDF season has, well, the new WDF season has started anyway in 2022. We've had three competitions so far, with a further three to come in February as things start to get back up and running again. Uh, and two of those events were in Russia, and Dmitry Panov from the Cold Darts blog. He will be joining the show later on to talk about those events in Russia and the prospects of the Russian players Alexei Kodotchnikov and Yelena Shulgina, who've qualified for Lakeside, their prospects for the World Championships. And there'll also be discussion on how I think the WDF should go about replacing the seven players who will now have to miss Lakeside after winning tour cards at Q School. But the first guest this week is the Darts Australia president, Kelvin James. Kelvin was last on the show in August 2020 and soon after that his life changed as he was rushed into hospital for an operation on a brain tumour. Life's been a bit topsy-turvy for him since then but he's back to being president of Darts Australia now and he joined me to talk about his roller coaster health battle, the Darts Australia calendar for 2022, the return of the Australian Open, the Gold Pacific Masters and why he's imploring the WDF to make sure Lakeside happens. I'm now delighted to be joined by the President of Darts Australia, Kelvin James. Kelvin, how are you? Very well, thanks, Andrew. I'm good, thank you, and it's good to, to get you back on. Darts Australia put out their calendar for 2022 uh, a little over a week ago now. To start, talk me through what's, what's planned for, for the rest of this year. Well, I think that the most important part for us is to get the sport activated. You know, we've had a torrid two years in Australia, um, which, which could have been made further complicated by the different restrictions in the different states and territories. And um, we just want to we, we just want to do all that we can to help the hosts, the tournament hosts, play darts to give our guys something to play for. So we, we, you know, we, we've got um, our own darts Australia ranking system. And we've got the Austrian Grand Prix as well, which, uh, and we're hoping to have um, a maximum of two Grand Prix in each of the states and territories, if in in the perfect world. But we'll see what uh, the new year brings us. Yeah, for sure. And I mean, you mentioned it there. How difficult has it been to get things penciled in and organised, given that the restrictions have changed seemingly very regularly? in Australia, and they all vary by state? It's been, it's been extremely difficult to, because the the complicating factor is you have a system in Australia where you have the Commonwealth government, and then you have each of the states and territories have their own government as well. And on top of that, then, you've got the venues, which are typically clubs and a class of entertainment venues, and, um, and, and there's different pieces of the regulations on each of those players 
Um, so you've got three moving parts, that, that, and, and they move quite rapidly. Um, what's a rule today may not be a rule tomorrow. You know, so it's, it's, it's actually extremely difficult. And I think, I think a lot of the venues have lost confidence in, in, in being able to operate um, as, as per pre-COVID days. Yeah, it's very understandable. Obviously, most of the work that is done by national federations around the world is done by volunteers. Now, after two years of people being stuck in their own homes and not being able to do, to do the things they would normally do, I would imagine that would have a, an impact on the people prepared to, to continue volunteering their time. Is that something you've noticed, that the that, that enthusiasm maybe is lower or that the number of volunteers is lower? Yet to, yet to play out. Um, we're very early in our season in Australia. Uh, you know, we, we're still in effect in shutdown, uh, in the off season, if you like. But um, I do the feedback I've got from my state counterparts is that people there's, there's a shortage of volunteers. There's a shortage of people coming forward to replace the, the long-standing committee members and volunteers, if you like, who. Um, who've now had a life away from the sport and maybe realise that uh, there's life outside the sport. You know, being creatures of habit, we, you know, even from our play and our play and membership, I can see that it, there'd be a little bit of, of a lag before it builds up again and people regain that level of enthusiasm for the sport and passion for the sport. You know, it's not helped, of course, by the change, by the change regulations and this new variant of course it just takes people people's confidence of of actually mingling in big crowds or mingling in mingling in indoor spaces so, uh, yeah so it's so yet to play out so hopefully hmm. hopefully it will uh, all resolve itself in good, in good time i'm sure it will we're again uh, as human beings we're a resilient race and in theory, the the ranking season, certainly on the, the WDF side for you guys, should have been starting the end of this week with the Victorian Classic. But with the ongoing restrictions in Victoria, which of course have been in the, the news a lot recently because of the Novak incident, you guys have had to, to cancel and postpone. And from what I've seen on, on social media, which isn't always the, the best guide, the general reaction I've seen is that the players are just frustrated they just can't seem to play because as soon as they get started or look forward to getting started, restrictions kind of put a dampener on things. No, I, I haven't actually um, been in touch with Darts Victoria who are the hosts on, 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 the, on, on the reason for the cancellation. I'm assuming that it's, it's, a, it's an indoor capacity matter. And possibly return on investment as well because... I think there's so much uncertainty around interstate travel that um, that, would have, that would have affected the, uh, the attendance. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a shame. I think sooner or later, we, you know, we, we, have to, we have to be flexible enough and be robust enough to, um, to run tournaments. Now, an event I wanted to ask you about was the Pacific Masters, which for you know decades has been a, a staple of the calendar. Last year it was supposed to be a, a WDF gold event, so should have carried direct entry to, to Lakeside, but couldn't happen because of the restrictions at the time. 
is the Pacific Masters back on the calendar for this year? Yes, it is. Um, that's always played the day before the commencement of our, of our national championships. And um, that's penciled in for, I think it's the 7th of August, off the top of my head. Um, yeah, so I think it's the 7th of August anyway. Uh, yeah, and and that's, that'll be up in uh, Rich River Golf Club, which is where the championships are held as well. Australian Senior Championships. Mm-hmm. So, um, always, it's a pretty catastrophic event, and um, we're looking forward, as always, it'll produce a worthy champion. Mm. And do you know which sort of level of the WDF ranking system it will be at the moment? I think at the moment it's on the calendar as a gold. Um, but but I, I, think, I, I think people have to realise that every, every one of those events in the calendar is now that's the plan but if we have to you know we have to be flexible enough to change those plans and adapt according to the conditions of the day we'll see yeah we we'll know what the plan is that it's a gold event and we'll see what um, we'll see what transpires so you touched on it there that the national championships i mean august is going to be a busy time for you guys because you've also got the the return of the australian open which played in 2019 you've not been able to to do it since then because of covid was getting that event back on the calendar a priority for you yes it was and, uh, I, I really think that uh, that's such an important part it could become such an important part of our calendar for the players involved it gives them an international tournament to compete in you know and um, Last time it was streamed on MySport Live and social media, and you know we had some tremendous success with the broadcast. Uh, this year, there's a possibility that it might be on uh, one of the one of the Foxtel offshoots fail. So um, you know we 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 considering where we'll stream it to and who we'll stream it to, depending on the caliber of player that we're qualified for. So uh, you know it's a, a great opportunity. Uh, we, we've got a great partner in uh, the Murray River Council and the both venues up there, the, you know, the Moana Bowls Club and the Rich River Golf Club. Um, I, you know, it certainly was a big priority for us. Just a, just a shame that, that uh, Scott Mitchell can't get back to uh, to try and, for the, for the second time, um, make the finals and, and this time go one step further and win the event. But uh, being a tour card holder, of course, he, uh, he's not eligible. So I know last time you had the the relationship with the WDF for the event, so the top two WDF men, Scott Mitchell, as you say, Jim Williams came over, as did the the top WDF ladies, Makuru Suzuki and Lisa Ashton. Is the plan to do something similar this time? Yes, something similar. Uh, We'll be with with the men. We're looking at a, a, a variety of options. Obviously, to give us the best marketability to uh, attract the best sponsorship we possibly can for it. Um, with the ladies, um, Lisa and Makuru will be invited back for sure as 2019 finalists. Nice. So, um, uh, yeah, unfortunately, with the uh, with the men, there's we have, we have, we sort of have to wait until after cube school to see what the uh, London lady was lying like and um, who qualified for tour cards. To see how we would build the criteria for, 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 the, for the actual men's open, for the actual open event itself, and those discussions will take place during 
week. Looking forward to it. I enjoyed I enjoyed following and watching it last time. Is it going to be the same format, same size field as last time? The men, it'll still be 24 players. Um, um, probably similar formats. Um, but the ladies were expanding from 6 to 12. Mm. 12 ladies. And yeah, we've got some exciting talent coming through. So Good to get the event back up and running. And, uh, in whatever form that is, so yeah, so we're pretty excited by it. Yeah, fingers crossed that you can actually get it run this time, and there's no restrictions in the way. Oh, look, it's, um, it's it's a real uncertain world at the moment, and um, and uh, you know, it, it, because we've got eight states, sorry, six states, not two territories, all all with their own agendas, it makes it real um, real tricky. Fingers crossed, front foot forward, I'm going to march on. The last time we spoke was in August 2020 and we had a very similar conversation about, you know, getting the Australian Open back, the calendar, trying to deal with COVID and your role as president. Now, fairly soon after we spoke last time, it was all changed for you because you were rushed into emergency surgery on a benign brain tumour can you talk to me, I mean, about that time and those few days where you were rushed in and then, then had to have the surgery? Yeah, look, it's, uh, it wasn't the, the best day I've ever had in my life. I'm sure you were. <laughs> it, 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 was, it all seems like a dream looking back. Um, but at the time, of course, it was like a nightmare to be suddenly told that you've got a tumour the size of a tennis ball in your head and you need a seminar. Send me that operation. Um, there's a chance that you won't come out of it, um, or if you do come out of it, you there's a 50-50 chance that uh, you will suffer a stroke on the table. I was really confronting. I I was advised to say my goodbyes to my loved ones, which I did. And uh, lucky enough, the gods were shining down on me. And the following day, I was able. I was awake. I was up and about, and uh, I, I took about four months off work, I think. I, actually, it was this time last year that I actually went back to work. So I've been back about 12 months now, so that's the bad news. <laughs> no, I really love my, I actually really love my work. My employer was sensational. Yeah. yeah at those times. But it, it, you know, to be confronted with your own mortality when you think you're superhuman certainly changes your perspective on life. For them to discover it, had you been feeling unwell beforehand? Look, when I, when I look, yeah, look, it's a strange thing. You know, at the time, I said no. But in retrospect, looking back, there were things, there were little signals along the way that um, but I put down to, you know, I've had two total knee replacements. So I put down to a bit of unsteadiness on my, on my legs as being, uh, Christ, they're going to go again, I'm going to need a replacement that thing. You know, I was starting to lose my memory a little bit. Uh, but the, what actually triggered my my trip to the hospital was um, the night before I had uh, a terrible headache uh, to the extent where I couldn't put my head on the, when I, at night. I couldn't put my head on the pillow. Uh, you know, so I'd actually got up and showered and I was getting ready for work. So I felt a little bit better. Well, my wife probably saved my life. She, uh, she said, no, you're not. I'm taking you into emergency. And of course, she had to drop me at the door because 
she, she wasn't allowed in at the time because of the COVID restrictions. I had a CT scan when they found out, when they actually discovered the scan, um, transferred me by ambulance because they considered it to be so big that um, I could collapse at any time. It could just go with any time on me and, uh, and they wouldn't let Deborah, my wife, take me to the other hospital. The other hospital. <laughs> and, uh, and the next time I saw any of my family was when I came out on the weekend after the all. Lucky I got a, a lovely and a, quite a brilliant surgeon. And on Friday I had my 12-month checkup actually and uh, I get the results on Wednesday. Mm -hmm. so, uh, so fingers crossed for that. But I don't think I'm suffering any, I don't appear to be suffering any, any uh, sort of symptoms again. As a matter of fact, I feel I've got more energy and I feel better than I have for a decade. So, uh, it's all good. Yeah, fingers crossed. And I mean, obviously, because of the the restrictions at the time, did that mean that you know when you had to do that difficult thing of of you know saying your goodbyes just in case something had had gone wrong? Did you have to do that all via Zoom or FaceTime or, or whatever? Yeah, I think there might be. While I was in hospital that night, I was using Messenger, of course, on my iPad. And I'd said goodbye to, you know, both my, well, all my kids uh, and Deborah. And, uh, and, that, and that was it, really, because I had to deal with it myself as well. By about 11 o'clock at night, I, I'd sort of, I just needed some time to myself mm -hmm. to try and uh, get my head around what was happening. And, uh, um, you know, I... At the end of the day, I thought, well, you're not in control of this one. And the words of my uh, father came back to come back into my, the forefront of my mind, which were, you've always played the cards as they've been dealt. This is what you have to do this time. Pretty confronting. And uh, I, I, I look back on it, and I, you know, it's been really, it's been a good experience as well. I think I've, cha you know, I've changed in so many ways that uh, I think people can't believe it. Mm. You know, I don't get stressed about the little things. I certainly don't sweat the small stuff anymore. And, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's just given me, it's certainly given me a new perspective on life. And I intend to uh, live the rest of my days living it to its full. That's fantastic to hear. And something I noticed at the time, you know, when, when the, the you know, Darts Australia put a statement out saying that, you know, you know what had happened to you the outpouring of support from the, the darting community was massive not just in australia but you know over this side of the world guys who'd worked with you at world cups and all that kind of thing afterwards you know when you got home and whatever and i'm sure you saw all that stuff what did that mean when you, you saw the, the the things that people had been saying and the, the love that was out there for you it, it's really strange uh, i found it really emotional first of all, and really humbling. You know, the, the level, the, the support I got from, from, obviously from darts as a sport, from worldwide as a, as a, as a dart, as a sporting community, was, you know, just left me with tears in my eyes. And I'll never forget, you know, those people that took the time to wish me well and people that, that I've had robust dialogue with over the years, you know, were there for me <laughs> and giving me, giving me a pat on the back and giving me support. 
uh, you know, um, not just the darting community, but the sporting community in general, people that I've met over the past 20, 30 years, you know, within other sports. It, it, it was just a real humbling emotional experience you know, to think that uh, I've touched so many people's lives, you know, and I'm connected with that amount of people. You know, it's just just amazing, really. And that's all thanks to uh, to the sport we love, darts. And, you know, and I, I'd be I'd be remiss if I didn't mention my friends, my my family who've been wonderful and. Uh, yeah, no, it's been a real humbling experience, and one that I'm actually grateful that I went through. Hmm. You know, I, yeah, it's, it's been it's been it's a unique thing to say, but I'm in many ways I'm glad that I experienced that before I uh, before I pop my pop the top lip. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> before I uh, pop the twig. It's 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 a, it's a strange feeling you know, to uh, to appreciate. It. What was a potentially life-threatening, but it was a life-threatening experience. Yeah. No, I do. It's, yes, it's made me a better person. Because of all of that, you resigned as Darts Australia president, which was completely understandable. But then, a few months ago, you became president again. So what was the sequence of events from, obviously, you stepping down to then you eventually coming back into the fold and coming back to the, the role you were in before? It's really it's a real simple thing. I resigned before I had the operation while I was in hospital that night. And I just thought, well, if I come out of this well, I'm going to need all my strength to focus on my health. And that wouldn't be fair, wouldn't be fair to the organisation, so that's why I resigned. I'd sort of been in touch with a few, obviously kept in touch with the sport. And it was great to go to, go to tournaments, you know, what tournaments there were. I went to a couple of tournaments and you know, the love and cuddles I got off people that I, I'd met for the first time since the operation was, um, was, was, was heartwarming. But I was, sort of, I, was, I was sort of decided that I wouldn't be involved with the sport as a president anymore. I went along to the Dart AGN, which was held in November, I think. Um, just because I'm a life member, I'm entitled to go to that meeting. It was on Zoom. And I went along just out of interest. It was on a Sunday, a Saturday or a Sunday afternoon. I went along just out of interest. And, uh, a nomination came from the floor. <laughs> so uh, I said, well, look, you know, I was completely surprised, to be honest. And uh, I said, look, uh, I'll need to discuss this. It's a big commitment. I'll need to discuss it with my wife and family. Um, can you give me 24 hours? And I think they agree. And uh, I spoke to I spoke to Deborah, my wife. She said, "Well, I'll support you in whatever you want to do." And uh, I thought, "Well, I'll I, I must give myself to offer." So, uh, so I accepted the nomination, <laughs> and that was it. And I'm slowly working my way back into it. Do you know who it was who nominated you from the floor? Yeah, I do. It, it, it was uh, it came from Dark Queensland, which was like, again, it, it's been a humbling experience. Of course. And, uh, and I'm excited. And to be honest, I, I was shocked. Um, as time went on, over the next 24 hours, my ex- my excitement is uh, is back. It's uh, I'm re- I'm, my enthusiasm is back. My energy is back. So let's just go forward. 
You talk of having sort of a, a renewed perspective as a, a, a person, a new outlook on life after everything that happened to you. In this second spell as president of Darts Australia, what goals and ambitions do you have for, for DA? I think the, my first goal is to consolidate what we have. You know, we're the national governing body. Um, my first goal is to consolidate the back end, the, the backroom staff, if you like. That's that, that's my first goal. My, my second goal is to help the tournament hosts, our state associations, and the sport in general to get up and running again across the country, because that's so important for us. If we haven't got people playing dance, then we haven't got a purpose. It's, just, it's a simple, as clean camp as that. Another goal I've got is to improve the pathways from every participant, member or non-member, from junior to professional player. Now, we've all seen the success of, you know, the, the, Tony David, for example, is our, was our world, is our world champion on the, on the lakeside, on the video side of the sport. We've got Graham Hunt in Western Australia, the world masters. We've had tremendous success in the Asia-Pacific Cup on the WDF system. Uh, and the World Cup as well, both got from a young age to, to our senior teams, you know, with our men's winning the champion, winning the World Cup, for example. Uh, but I think the, we have to be mindful of, of the current landscape. Um, I think if there's nothing else the WGF do this year, they have to run Lakeside. They have to make that happen. They have to make the World Championship the World Arts Federation World Championships happen, and they have to do whatever it takes. You know, if they have to create a bubble for two weeks before it and two weeks after it, then do it. You've got to make. You know, if there's a message I've got tonight, is the World Arts Federation make that World Championship happen. Because if not, our basic social player is going to head somewhere else. There's other opportunities out there now, and you know. As, as the national governing body, part of our responsibility is to govern the sport in a holistic fashion, not just govern the sport, but govern for the government for the World Arts Federation side of things. End of the sermon. <laughs> <laughs> no, I, I agree with you. And thank you so much for your time, Kelvin. I really appreciate it. Thank you for you know your honesty and... I look forward to, to this year, seeing how you guys get on with Darts Australia, and I wish you, more than anything, the, the best of health this year. Thanks very much, Andrew, and thanks again for having me on. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Kelvin. It was certainly a fascinating start to the year, calling over to Melbourne to speak to him. He's a lovely guy, um, and he's got the best interest of Darts Australia at heart, and it's great to see him healthy and back in a position in Australia where he can kind of lead them forward. Australia's first event, as we discussed, was supposed to be the Victorian Classic at the end of this week, but that's had to be postponed because of Victoria's well-publicised COVID rules. The Australian season will now get underway in early March with the New South Wales Great Lakes Open, which is a bronze event. As I mentioned, though, there have been three competitions so far. The most recent was this past weekend, and that was the Silver Las Vegas Open, always one of the most popular events on the American circuit and the titles were won by Jim Widmeyer and Julie Wager. Uh, Jim beat Gary Mawson in a really good quality men's final. 
while Julie saw off a fight back from Shay Cole to win her maiden ranking title in the ladies' event, hoping to catch up with one or both of them for, for next week's show. Um, but the other events were in Russia, and now originally these events would have taken place during the week of Lakeside. They were the 5th and 6th of January. But with Lakeside postponed, the leading Russian players were still able to play, and it was the leading Russian players who dominated the titles. The men's events were both won by Alexei Kadochnikov. Um, he looks really impressive, and I think he's going to have a really good run at Lakeside if he can maintain the form he's on right now. He's won three ranking events on the spin uh, and four in the last sort of four or five months. So he's definitely hitting form at the right time, and he's a big power scorer. Um, so I think he could go very well at Lakeside. And on the women's side, Yelena Shulgina, she had an early exit in one of the competitions at the Kalashnikov Cup, but she came back the following day to win the Udmurtia Open. The Kalashnikov Cup, meanwhile, was won by 15-year-old Yuliana Kichayeva. She's the second young Russian teenager to win a senior ranking title. And it shows that you know the future of Russian darts, certainly on the women's side of things, is in very safe hands indeed. But somebody who knows a lot more about Russian darts than I do is Dmitry Panov. Dmitry runs an account on Twitter, Cold Darts, which, as he explains, originally started as a sports blog in Russia, and they have pages on Telegram and, and Instagram as well. So I caught up with Dmitry to talk about those first events of the season, the Kalashnikov Cup and Udmurti Open, the prospects of the Russian players playing at Lakeside in April, his hopes for this year in Russian darts, and the work Boris Koltsov is doing to support the next generation. I am now delighted to be joined by one of the men behind the Cold Darts Twitter account, Dmitry Panov. Dmitry, how are you? I'm okay. Thank you. <laughs> Good. The 2022 World Darts Federation season began last week and it began in Russia with, with two competitions. What did you make of the competitions last week? Okay, the Kalashnikov Cup and Udmurtia Open were held in Egypt, which has a very strong dance tradition. This tournament usually gather the strongest players of Russia. Many people try to take part in them. It should also be mentioned that uh, we long holidays in Russia from uh, January 1st to uh, 9th, and this uh, tournament we held on January uh, 5 and uh, 6. So every cold uh, visit them without uh, having to leave my main job. Mm. If the Madrid were the strongest player in Russia, with the expansions of Boris Kolsov, uh, he had uh, two PDC tour card holders. Both, both times Alexei Kadashnikov, in my opinion, these victories are absolutely deserved. <laughs> he prepared very, very well from them and showed a good game. Alexei was supposed to take part in the World Championship, and I unfortunately it was postponed, and it will be in April. It's a pity 
with Kadochnikov showed his form in Izhevsk and not in Lakeside. <laughs> and also mentions uh, Dmitry Gorbunov, who doesn't uh, play often, often at uh, WGF tournaments, but this time he showed good, uh, good dance. In the woman, pleasantly surprised Natalia Alexandrova, uh, who twice reached the finals, runner-ups. She has a good game, and I think that Natalia will reach the finals of WGF competitions more when once hmm. I was happy <laughs> I was happy with uh, Yuliana Hichaiva uh, young girls this girl has a great future Yelena Shulgina played uh, well she uh, deservedly won the Udmurtia Open all these players are impressed me uh, I'm unfortunately not all participants were paid the fees and full. This is very sad because the players feel cheated. I hope that the situation will be resolved and our players will get the money they deserve. You mentioned it there. Alexei Kadochnikov, he won the two men's titles. Elena Shulgina, she won one of them. Both of them should have, last week, as you said, been playing at the World Championship at Lakeside. To have two players there is obviously big for darts in Russia. How, obviously it's now been moved to April. How do you think Alexei and Elena will get on at Lakeside in the World Championships. How do you think they will perform? Uh, let's begin from the beginning. <laughs> uh, Alexei will start right from the second round and uh, that uh, will help him a lot. The opponents, Kevin Luke or Steve Hein, uh, are very, uh, very serious, but I think Kadochnikov can handle, uh, handle ever of them. I'd love uh, to see Kadushnikov and Trikol match, uh, match up in the third round. The Red World will be very interesting. But uh, Thibaut will probably take uh, the PDC top card uh, holder, in, in my opinion. Uh, so that match in questionable. In my opinion, Alexei is capable of making it to the quarterfinal, and that won't be a great result. Oh, Yelena Shulgina is not to be afraid and show her game. I think she will beat Susan Smith, but Kirsty. Hutchinson will beat her, but I'll be rooting for Yelena. I want her to play in the semi-final with Anastasia Dobromyslova. <laughs> I hope, I, I very hope. There should have been four Russian players at Lakeside, but Roman Ubakov had to pull out of the 
the competition. Can you explain a little bit about why Roman had to, to withdraw? Unfortunately, Roman will not be able to participate in the World Championship. There are several reasons. First, a trip to England will not pay his expenses. Secondly, recently Roman greatly decreased the level of his game and is unlikely to pass beyond the first round. I cannot say why, but it is evident in his recent tournaments. We want to help him financially and he even agreed to it, but when he withdrew. I hope that in the future Raman will return to his highland. You're a very big supporter of <clears throat> Russian darts and your your Twitter account and your other social media are an invaluable resource to someone like me because finding results from Russia is usually very, very hard. Um, but, I mean, for you, when did you first become interested in darts? When did you first become a fan of darts? I watched darts on TV back in 2007 where they showed it on TV and the commentator commentator with the great Grigory Rusanov. He, he is the voice of darts in Russia and very good coach. I started playing darts in 2018. 2018. Uh, it was uh, completely accidental. I was just sitting uh, thinking about what to do. I could have come to bowling, checkers or snooker, but uh, eventually by I thought uh, about that and decided I want to do it. It's been four years now uh, and I, I don't regret my choice. It's true, I'm not very good, <laughs> but I want to promote it and tell people about it. That's what I'm good at. Why did you decide, I know that there's the two of you, you and, and, and Sergei, why did you decide to start your page, Cold Darts? Uh, Cold Darts is now two years old. I was ill by accident. I was watching the PDC World Championship when Raymond Van Barnard lost to Darren Young. I was really hurt because I was rooting for Barney is the match. When I posted, uh, posted my my thoughts on Instagram about the match, uh, but no one reads them. I have uh, football players subscribe to me and they are not that interested in that. <laughs> so I went uh, to the, to the most popular sport website in Russia, sports.ru. You can create your own blog there. I created my blog and called it Cold Dance. 
and the time I didn't think of the name and wrote uh, the first thing uh, that came in, into my head. <laughs> I wrote uh, I wrote a text about funny, and the readers love it. I realized when what I called write more about us. No one in Russia had uh, ever even written about that before, and now I'm going to do it. In 2020, the Core Dance blog won the fans' world as the best blog on sports.ru. That was very cool. Uh, because I beat out football and figure skating. Uh, it's a very popular uh, sport in Russia. I'm very proud uh, of this achievement. I wrote about that and its uh, heroes. I have biographies of Peter White, John Clayton, Dirk Van Joven, Bodo Florian Hempel, and Grigory Rusan, the best commentator in Russia. <laughs> And I also actively cover World Championship matches and look for connections between that and other sports. Now my blog, my blog has a Telegram channel. Telegram is very popular in Russia and it's the most popular in Russia. In order to broadcast internationally, we created an account on Twitter called Dads and Instagram. I also have an account of contact with as a very popular social network in Russia. My assistant, my assistant, my assistant Sergey Rybkin is helping me, and I want to thank him very much for his work. He makes uh, beautiful pictures and uh, things interesting. So I've noticed that there are a couple of the Russian players who are Cold Darts ambassadors. Is that you sponsoring those players financially? We have no sponsors, so we, uh, so we do everything by ourselves. I'm a sports journalist by my profession, professional, and I save a part of my salary for that. Uh, no, uh, but we have ambassadors who promote our blog. Blog. This, the, uh, this are. Uh, very strong your players, Maxim Eldoshin and Roman Korsunov, they have our stickers and take part in our discussions. We are also ready to help Yelena Shulgina, who will go to Lakeside. But this is just the beginning. We still have a lot of plans. So you mentioned at the, the beginning that Izhevsk, where the, the two events were last week, is a, an area with a strong darts tradition in Russia. Would you say that darts is becoming more popular in Russia at the moment because of what Boris is doing and, and obviously the, the players who are going to be playing at Lakeside? Uh, 
Uh, yes, of course. It's become very popular after Boris Koltsov played at the PDC champion, World Championship when my texts were read by almost 30,000 people. And Boris gave an interview on TV, very popular sports TV in Russia. Uh, but in uh, general, that's is not as as popular in Russia as football, biathlon, and figure skating. Very big work is done by Dartsman in, in Moscow, St. Petersburg, Sverdlovsk region, Novosibirsk region. In my hometown, Krasnoyarsk, which is a Siberia, there are, are also that tournaments. I think the number of people uh, who Likes da, uh, like darts will only increase. Obviously, a lot of people will know uh, Cassinia, who who has done a lot on the youth scene. She she played on uh, you know online. She signed with Target. A lot of people know her. Obviously, Juliana won the competition last week. She's another young player doing well. Um, has there been? Uh, deliberate investment and work done to try and promote the youth players in Russia because I know Russia takes sort of sport very seriously at, at all age levels. Uh, yes, in Russia, let's play a lot of uh, attention to young, uh, young people. Russia has a development state system of sports schools and acad uh, academies. So have dads and professional uh, coaches teach kids uh, how to throw darts correctly. Uh, famous players have also helped a lot. For example, Boris Koltsov buys uh, equipment at his own expense and send it to children's sections. The problem is that the kids stop showing results and uh, where adult uh, level and then the careers very early. Also, this is a problem not only in that. Uh, we can remember Russian football players who uh, who are very strong at the junior level, but lose that strength strength when uh, they grow up. Of course, this problem must be solved, including helping players financially and motivation when to participate in in international tournaments. I was looking at the the WDF calendar and I couldn't see them. When do you know are going to be the next WDF tournaments in Russia? Uh, Russia. Traditionally, host several tournaments that go to the Northern Europe WDF ranking. They are held in Izhevsk, Saransk, Ufa, and St. Petersburg. I can't remember now at what time the tournaments will be held, but I know for sure. Sure, uh, sorry, sure that the tournaments in St. Petersburg will be held in the beginning of November. 
in St. Petersburg there is a very strong organizer, Denis Novikov. He even arranges for his tournaments to be shown on TV. I hope there will be more WDF tournaments in Russia in the future, including Siberia. Obviously, we're at the, the beginning of the year now. People tend to, to look ahead. They have ambitions. They have goals. What is your big hope, your big ambition for Russian darts in 2022? This is for Boris Kolsov, whom we follow and worry about. This, uh, that's Alexei Kadeshnikov and Yelena Shulgina, who will play in the World Championships. That's uh, Dmitry Gorbunov, who I want to see play in the World Championship, WDF or BDC. That's uh, Alisa Burikina, Alice Burikina, the current Russian champion, my good friend, uh, colleague and uh, assistant. That's Senek Lochik, who has um, every chance of a brilliant career. Uh, but most of uh, oh, I hope that Russians will be interested in that, and the sport will be very popular. That is a sport. No game, it's sport. <laughs> yes. Thank you. Thank you very much, Dimitri. Thank you for your time. And I look forward to seeing more from you later in the year and more success for the Russian players. Thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Dimitri. It was really interesting to to hear what he was saying about the Kalashnikov Cup and Admutia Open, uh, but also what Boris Koltsov's doing, putting his hand in his pocket to to pay for the equipment for the younger players. Um, so really interesting talking to him, and I want to recognise the fantastic work he's doing with cold darts. The Russian events are notoriously the most difficult to find results for for anyone, so the way he's presenting it alongside Sergei with the graphics and stuff is fantastic and it's great to see those players and those events get more recognition and he deserves massive props for that. And I have to say, I think that the, the new WDF system in many ways favours the Russian events. I looked at the calendar after we spoke and there's now another four singles events before the end of the year. So I think that will be six in Russia by the end of the ranking season. Now, of course, North Europe will, in theory, have more events this year from outside of Russia. There'll be the Swedish, the Danish, Iceland has got two, um, Latvia has got two as well. But six from one country is obviously going to be a big advantage for the likes of your Kadochnikovs, your Shulginas, to do well and potentially seal World Championship spots for 2023. And obviously, the more players you have on a big stage they offer something to aspire to and as Dimitri was saying the young players are certainly coming through and hoping to progress to the senior side of things the last note on that interview as well I just want to shout out Dimitri's friend Kirill who stepped in at a late notice to to help with a couple of translation things during the interview Um, so yeah massive thanks to Kirill as well for helping that come together but moving on now to, to the big talking point really and that's Lakeside when the World Championship got moved, it was inevitable that there would be some changes to the World Championship. It was highly unlikely that none of the World Championship qualifiers would enter Q School and not get cards. 
somebody, even if it was just one person, somebody was going to get one. My feeling was it was probably going to be somewhere between 8 and 12. It ended up being slightly below that with 7. Uh, the headline of those, of course, was the WDF World number 1 and number 1 seed Brian Roman, but Jules Van Dongen, Nick Falwell, Ross Montgomery and Cameron Menzies were all seeded players and they're all big losses to the tournament, as are the other two, Connor Scott and Mario van den Bojada. They're all big losses. And I mean, Ross Montgomery being a PDC tour card holder is a sentence I never thought I'd hear or say. But huge props to him for getting that opportunity later on in his career and I hope he makes the most of it over the next couple of years and beyond. As as the same for the other six and the other, you know, 31 guys and, you know, who, who've got cards this time round. How do they, though, adjust the lakeside field? Because that's seven men down, so they've now got 41 of 48. Prior to the tournament getting moved from January to April, there were reserves in place. They were going to be there that if there were positive COVID tests or somebody had to drop out at late notice because of international travel or whatever, those reserve players would, would step in. Now, the first reserve was John Scott of England, and then I believe it was John O'Shea of Ireland and Jason Brandon of the USA. Now, John O'Shea of Ireland, huge props to him. Hopefully be hearing from him on this channel later in the week. He got a tour card, so he can't be playing at Lakeside either. So of those three next up on the rankings, the three reserves, as it were, John Scott and Jason Brandon, they both could be added to the field, and that would take you to 43. I think it's only right that maybe if they... I think it's only right that those guys are offered the the opportunity to be added. Certainly, John, he was the first reserve. He was going to be the one who's likely to have to step up. Um, I think they probably should receive an invitation. And the thing is that the WDF can't use points from 2022. If you've noticed, their rankings on their website have been updated now so that points from 2020 have come off. So the ranking table now looks very different to, to what it did at the end of December. Yes, there are events coming up in 2022. There are three in February and there are several in March, but they need to make a decision about the field and the draw before those events realistically. It needs to be in the next couple of weeks so that they can probably do a redraw and get the information and the schedule out there so they can really push the ticket sales. So if you've got to make a decision and you can't rely on the events that are coming to determine your places, you've got to go with what you've got. So you'd go with those reserves, as I mentioned, I then feel you probably need to speak to those guys who turned it down before. I think you need to speak to them and work out if their circumstances have changed. If they turned it down because of the COVID situation in the UK at the end of the year, they were worried, whatever, that seems to be waning now. So the confidence for that might be better and they might feel more comfortable about international travel. However, say in the instance of Roman Ubikov, who's struggling for form and doesn't really have the money to afford to come over... He's probably still a no, but I think they need to ask that question of those guys. Now, speaking to them, that might top you up closer to 48, or it might make no difference at all. But I think you've probably got to ask that question. And if they go to John Scott, potentially Jason Brandon as well, then they speak to the guys who should have been there by merit in the first place. They do that. If there are gaps left, my feeling is that they then need to run a qualifier. Because you can run a qualifier now with slightly more doors open. Those guys who in December 
had lost their PDC tour cards couldn't enter because they were technically still PDC tour card holders until the end of the World Championships. This time around, however, they're under no restrictions at all. So it could be that you run a qualifier and you get someone like a Matt Edgar or a Yella Klaassen or a former Lakeside finalist Mark McGinney come through. Now, it could be that you get three other players completely different to that. Or four players, or however many it ends up being. Could be two, could be four, could be five. Who knows? But I think that's probably the way to go, because I think it generates another wave of enthusiasm for the competition. You potentially get some fresher faces, and perhaps some very well-known faces, maybe a Robert Thornton, for example, who are going to draw a lot of eyes to the competition. Hopefully, as I say, that the WDF make a quick decision on this, and they're assertive in the decision, and we get to see what happens with the tournament. My feeling is that you're going to need to redraw it, because if you've lost five seeds, I don't think it's right that you just bump everybody up by however many places, and then just slot people in the new places in the draw. I just don't think that that's right on anybody involved. I think they probably do have to redraw it, which is a blow, but it might be one of those things that they have to do. But, you know, we'll have to wait and see. I look forward to seeing what they're going to do. Thank you very much to Dimitri and Kelvin for their time for this week's show and thank you to you guys for listening. Your support's always greatly appreciated. I'll be back later this week with hopefully a couple of episodes with Q School graduates of 2022 and then next week with recap from the Las Vegas Open that happened this past weekend. In the meantime, you can follow me on Twitter at amsinclair 97 You can follow the podcast on Twitter at Inside the WDF. You can like the Facebook page, Inside the WDF. You can rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And in the meantime, stay safe.